Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and will be talking about Coco. Jan, do you want to tell us about this movie? Coco is a 2017 film. It is produced by Pixar and released by Disney. It is directed by Lee Unkrich and Adrian Molina. The story was by Lee Unkrich, Jason Katz, Matthew Aldrich, and Adrian Molina. It stars the voices of Anthony Gonzalez, Gail Garcia Bernal, Benjamin Bratt, Alana Albrecht, Renee Victor, Edward James Almos, and Hami Kamel. Can you tell us a little bit about what Coco is about, Paul? Miguel is the child of a family that hates music and musicians, although he feels a desire in his heart to play music and be a musician himself. On the Day of the Dead, Miguel steals the guitar of the most celebrated musician in all of Mexico, who he believes to be his grandfather, and travels to the land of the dead under a curse for stealing from the dead on the holy day. While there, he learns that he has to get the blessing of his family to return, but his great-great-grandmother will only give her blessing if he promises never to play music again. Refusing, Miguel tries to seek out the famous De La Cruz to get his blessing instead, but along the way learns that De La Cruz is not who he thought he was, and that Miguel's real grandfather is a poor and almost forgotten Hector, who didn't abandon his family as the great-great-great-grandmother believes, but was instead murdered and died while trying to return to his family. When Hector's daughter, Miguel's great-grandmother Coco, begins to forget Hector, Hector begins to fade from the land of the dead, but Miguel successfully returns to the land of the living with Hector's photograph and memories to reunite the family and reignite memories of Hector. And then they all play music at the end. Yeah. That's the story. That's the story of Coco. And I'm sticking to it. The movie's named after Coco, who is central in everybody's mind, but isn't a character who does very much, mm-hmm. which is, we'll get to that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the main boy's name is Miguel. So, objectively, how good of a movie is Coco? Oh my good gracious. <laughs> it is really good. I mean... It's beautiful in every sense of the word. It is. I think we expect good things of Pixar, but I think, as you said, in every sense, visually and emotionally, I think this is Pixar's most beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. I agree. And we could maybe, for just a moment, uh, talk about the visuals. I think this is Pixar's most visually beautiful movie yet. I mean... Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, we watched it today just on our little screen here, but the, we did also see this in theaters and in theaters, like gorgeous. Yeah. The most, one of the most beautiful movies I've seen. It's, 
the textures of everything, everything from like, they're all made, they're all skeletons and they look like bone. They have like the texture of bones Mm -hmm. to like beautiful colors in the land of the dead and these, and in the land of the living, just these gorgeous florals and everything. And like the glowing, like, I don't know, spirit animal thingies are beautiful as well. Everything just has so much depth and richness. And I just feel like when I'm watching the scenes that take place in the land of the living, I can almost smell what that <laughs> town smells like. It's just, it's so evocative of everything about a small Mexican town. And there's, I mean, Pixar has always been uh, good at detail. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the opening scenes of Wally, where he's traveling around the deserted earth. Yeah. That what makes that so uh fantastic is the amount of detail you can feel because it's true. You can feel that every one of those piles of garbage is populated by individually animated pieces of garbage. Yeah, exactly. Or the ocean in the Finding Nemo Finding Dory that like they swim past and it's the fit world is populated. But I think it's partly that the technology keeps getting better. It's partly that they just uh, have got more and more practice at this. Mm, the artistry keeps getting the better. The artistry keeps getting better because of the practice of the artists. Mm-hmm. That Coco is all that level of detail and then, like, and more. Yeah. It's, and Pixar, I wouldn't say, has, like, progressively gotten better until Coco is its greatest thing. Like, it definitely has had some duds and some ones that are different levels of that. Like, we think of Wally as one of the examples, and it really is. But... Monsters, Inc. isn't that way. Cars no. certainly isn't that way. No. And it has good detail and it's good and stuff, but... Not this, the way this is. Not the way this is. So certain Pixar movies really do have this gorgeous level of detail. Yes. And then there's also... American and Canadian audiences are... Um, Mexican imagery is underrepresented in... American and Canadian for American and Canadian audiences. Mm -hmm. And so the design, the aesthetic of this whole movie is uh, fresh. Mm -hmm. On that topic, I want to digress for just a little moment to say this movie, I just said this movie, the aesthetic is fresh, but this movie gets uh, compared often to another movie Mm -hmm. that came out close to the same time that we've also talked about, which is The Book of Life. I want to just address that right now um, by reading a tweet from the director of The Book of Life, Jorge Gutierrez. Uh, He's talked about Coco in a few different contexts, but one of the things he said is, I'm rooting for Coco. Aside from employing lots of my friends, how can I not root for an animated film that celebrates Mexican culture? Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a conception that, uh, that some people have that like Coco and the Book of Life are in competition with each other. Gutierrez very uh, clearly has said like, no. <laughs> yeah. And there's... There's three years between them. Yeah. First of all. But second of all... It's a movie about 
the Day of the Dead, which is a Mexican holiday, think about how many movies there are about Christmas. Yep. Think about how many movies there are about any given holiday. Like, you can have more than one animated movie about the Day of the Dead. We could have ten more of these, all with different plots, and that would be good. So I just want to address that, that this is, I don't think, an example of, like, A Bug's Life and Ants, Mm -hmm. or A Shark's Tale and uh, Finding Nemo. I think it is both because there's enough time between, and also because, like, this is a very rich topic that is very underrepresented. So they can both, we could, I just wanted to address that outright. Flushed away in Ratatouille? Flushed away in Ratatouille. Are we still going with this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wally and... Uh, so anyway, um, even though the Book of Life exists, Coco still has, and you can we have an episode about the Book of Life and you can listen to it if you want to, Coco still has like a really uh, fresh aesthetic, not completely unique, but underrepresented and uh, compelling mm-hmm. because it's based on Mexican art and Mexican uh, tradition as really visually striking. Mm-hmm. And where the Book of Life was very stylized, this is much more with realism, especially in the real world. It has a lot of magic in it, but the parts in the real world with like those colorful flags that yeah. are up look just like the flags that you would see the, the, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time in Mexico. I spent, I've, but I've spent some time in Mexico, some time in Guatemala and I just, and so I feel the feeling of being there just by watching this movie. And so I can imagine if you're actually have spent way more time there or live there, that mm-hmm. it's very much your, can we talk for oh. just a moment, talking about, like, the craft of this movie mm-hmm. and how good a job they're doing. Can we talk about the opening scenes and those flags and the animation of, like, Miguel's backstory in those flags? Yeah. It's kind of in the tradition of Beauty and the Beast with, like, the stained glass tells the story. In this one, it's the flags tell the story. Yeah. It's a really neat uh, concept. It, and it works very well. I agree. It looks so good. Mm-hmm. And it's really... Uh, I don't know, creative. I really like it. So what do you think about the voice acting in this movie? It's really well done. I'm like the little boy who plays Miguel. Fantastic job by him. Anthony Gonzalez, like fantastic. Yeah, he's really good. I think his uh, acting is really, really good. His singing is very good for a kid. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, is what it is. It's very good for a kid. Yeah. What about, um, I have to just say I was really, uh, happy to hear in a minor role that I'm fixated on. I just watched all of Jane the Virgin. And then when we watched (laughs) this in the theater, I didn't recognize his voice. And now we watched it. And Jaime Camille, who is Rogelio de la Vega on Jane the Virgin, is the father in, is Miguel's father. It's a small role, but I was just like, hey, it's him. <laughs> it's He's great. Him. And I like him. <laughs> yeah. Um, all the main roles, though. Like, mm-hmm. uh, ben- I, Benjamin Bratt as, uh, 
as Ernesto de la Cruz. Presumably doing his own singing? No, he did not, actually. No. That's too bad. Yeah, someone else doing the singing. But he, like, I don't know, kind of doing the Benjamin Bratt thing that he does sometimes. It's like... Of, like, kind of swagger and a little bit... uh, Yeah. Just a tiny bit, like, Troy McClure acting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or Zap Brannigan. Or Zap Brannigan. He kind of plays, like, a... uh, He does a very good job at, like, a puffed up blowhard. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I I say that like he did his own thing, but he also was in Claudia's A Chance of Meatballs and was Where not that at all. Not so, that at all. And we loved yeah. his performance in that too. Yeah. So I like, I'm not like the biggest Benjamin Bratt fan in general, but in these animated movies, he does a really good job. He's a good voice actor. Yeah. We seem to, uh, me too. I like, honestly, I'm very neutral on Benjamin Bratt as an actor. I have no strong feelings, but as a voice actor... Apparently, I love him. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I don't have any, I don't think that there is a weak point in the vocal performances. I think no. they're all really good. No. Uh, the songs, I yeah. quite enjoy the songs. I love that what they do with Remember Me throughout is they have these tiny little snippets of it that it's like, it's this popular song. It's his one really big hit. Everyone knows this one song that he sings. And so you get like, oh, everyone's doing their own version of it for the talent show. It's You get little notes of it, parts of it in a movie, it, a movie within the movie. But you don't get the whole song mm-hmm. quite. And you get that uh, it's a really cheesy song. As Ernesto sings it. As Ernesto sings it. That's what I mean. Is It's a super cheesy, but everyone loves the cheesiness of it and they swoon over it. But then when you actually hear the entire full song, it's Hector singing it to his daughter in a completely different tone. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And I just love the way they set that up, that you kind of already know this song so well even though you haven't heard all of it and then when you do you hear a completely different version and it's so beautiful agreed and it really is we should gush about that song for just a second Mm -hmm. because it is a beautiful song in every way in conception and execution thematically like um there's an essay that i'll link to in the show notes uh by kate sanchez who is a podcaster um but where she talks about uh, her losing her father to alzheimer's and remember me being super touching for her mm-hmm. and so when you think about memory in this movie and we'll presumably talk about this a little bit in the way too seriously yeah. but memory is such an important theme in this mem in this movie in so many different ways and remember me as a song the lyrics touch on those themes Really deftly. Yes, absolutely. And the way that also, like, in a movie, the song that you hear, I don't didn't count, but, like, probably 20 times you hear snippets of this song, it would be so easy for me to get sick of it. Mm-hmm. But they play it differently every time and a little different part of it, and it means something different emotionally every time you hear it. And it's enough that, like, by the time you last hear it, it's packed with all this extra meaning. And as you said, he plays it so differently at the end. Mm-hmm. 
is really well done. Yeah, absolutely. The other music throughout is good and uh, fun, often. Yeah, I like the like the Poco Loco song that he sings and a few other ones I can't remember the names of, but I like yeah all the music throughout I, I find is, is fun and good. I kind of want to listen to the soundtrack a bit more. Anything else that you think was particularly well done from a craft perspective? I don't know, everything ever about this movie. <laughs> In terms of the writing, I thought the script was, on the whole, quite good. The humor worked for me really well. I thought it was really funny on several points. Mm. I thought the uh, plot moved quite well. There was perhaps... we keeps being almost having achieved the goal and then it gets pulled away from him and it they may have pulled that trick once too often. That was going to be my one like low light would be that there are some moments of like it's a little contrived sometimes how close he comes to getting his goal and then not. And how like, many times that little rose petal is right in front of him and he doesn't just grab it. And they maybe once too often. Yeah. Um, and early in the movie... There are maybe some moments of uh, cultural exposition mm -hmm. that are a little clunky. Of like, yeah. as you know, we always put up this <laughs> memory of our family. Dia de los Muertos is the one night of the year our ancestors can come visit us. We put their photos on the ofrenda so their spirits can cross over. That is very important. If we don't put them up, they can't come. We made all this food, set out the things they loved in life, mijo. All this work to bring the family together. Like, he's, what, 11 or 12? Yeah. He doesn't need her to explain his culture to him. Yeah, exactly. But she's explaining it to the audience. I think those are very, to my mind, those are very nitpicky. Mm -hmm. Any other lowlights that you want to draw attention to? That's all that I can think of is that, yeah, that little bit of of uh, contriveness sometimes in the script. But in general, like I mean, this is fantastic. Apart from apart from obje objective, I mean, like amazing, double amazing. What's My enjoyment of this movie is like seven thumbs up. <laughs> I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. I laughed. I cried. It was better than cats. <laughs> <laughs> um okay yeah i agree it's it's a stunning and beautiful movie i'm so glad we watched it again like i said we watched it in theaters and i loved it then and i kind of although i kind of forgot about it like i was like i really liked coco but what happened in it i can't remember all i remember is the beautiful things and then watching it again today and i'm glad we watched it again just to like oh yeah this is why it was so good this is what was so good about it i'm probably going to remember it better now that i've seen it a second time Yep. I mean, maybe this is a very short section today. Mm-hmm. So should we get into the way portion of our show? Yes. <laughs> Why did you respond so slowly? <laughs> I don't know, just to be silly. Um, so I want to start with... Um, if you've listened to our podcast about Kubo and the Two Strings, 
Yeah. We talked about how we, much we loved everything about that movie, except for the fact that all the meta stuff about it was very cultural appropriation. Yes. And so Coco, when it was first announced, people were upset because it was very... Coco has... I mean, Pixar has a bit of a race problem. It does. And by a bit, I mean a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when this was announced, people were upset that Pixar, the very white Pixar, was doing a Mexican movie. And... Worse yet, Disney tried to copyright, trademark the phrase Dio de los Muertos or Day of the Dead. I don't speak Spanish, so I'm going to butcher things. But Day of the Dead, they tried to to copyright that phrase for like a week. Because after a week, people were like, no, you can't copyright the name of a holiday you can't copyright the word Christmas and no one can ever use Christmas again without paying Disney. You know, that's what basically they tried to do. And like, if you're, sorry to interrupt, but just in the con, in the meaning of appropriation, like the very most literal sense of cultural appropriation, we're going to take a central aspect of your culture and appropriate it. So we own it now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like not acceptable. So not acceptable. They, depending on your perspective, they made up for it or tried to make up for it. I think they did, but that's not really for me to say. However, what they did was hire a lot of people to make up for that. They hired uh, Adrian, I can't remember, the secondary director, who had been like very, very critical of Disney. And people were upset that they hired him. Because uh, he was selling out, basically. But what he was doing was helping them to make a proper movie. And they brought in a lot of people from Mexico and from and uh, Latin Americans and, uh, and kind of helped self-correct. And I think made an end product that was both beautiful and respectful and... I just feel like they listened to people when they said, hey, don't do this. And yeah. I respect that. And I like that. And they did what Studio Lake did not do with Kobo. Yep. It reminds me of uh, Moana in that I don't think it's perfect, mm-hmm. but it's a step in the right direction that they got a lot of people involved behind the scenes, yeah. both as performers and on crew mm-hmm. who actually are, have their roots in the culture that the movie is about. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's still a ways to go, but I think it's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And this movie did super well in Mexico. I am not surprised. <laughs> yeah. And like what Jorge Gutierrez said of like, he just wants to see Mexican culture represented a lot. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. And it's important to note that representation isn't just for the people it's representing. It's for all of us. Yeah. And so for someone, for a child uh, of Mexican descent, you know, like a Mexican American or a Mexican who lives in Mexico, a child to see themselves on screen like this in Coco is amazing. The representation is not just for, 
not just for the people who are being represented. It's for our kids. It's yep. for, uh, you know, I want our kids to see as many cultures as are out there represented in the media because I want them to know that they're not the only ones around. And I think it's really important for movies like this to exist and for our, us to take our kids to see them. Mm-hmm. And it's just a bonus that they're really good. It's a really good movie. Yeah, absolutely. And that representation is important both in front of and uh, behind the camera. Yes, very and both, true. Especially in an animated movie coming back to coming back to Kubo, that having a character of color falls a little flat if you don't also have an actor of color mm-hmm. that likes why I'm so glad that they don't have Miguel played by, you know, Jacob Tremblay or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like he's a perfectly good actor, but like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Another thing that I love about this movie is the way it speaks Spanish without translation. Yeah. That you have, not a lot of it, but I mean, there are songs that are completely in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And there are several moments where just a word thrown in here and there. And I mean, to my adult ears and to my ears that have, you know, been around a little bit of Spanish speaking, I know, you know, those words like, you know, he says, buenas noches. And like, you know, you know what that means. But for my kids to hear and they, they don't speak that language at all, but they mm-hmm. can maybe figure it out. But then to kids who do, kids who are English and Spanish bilingual, for them to hear that is super important and super great. And like, because I think about our complaint about Toy Story 3, that Buzz speaks Spanish and turns into a Latin lover. And Mm -hmm. he speaks English and he's normal. And then to have Pixar kind of correct themselves in this movie that speaking two languages is just speaking two languages. You're not two different personalities between the two languages. It's just part of your life when you speak, when you have a culture that's two different languages like that. And I feel like when Coco was first coming out, I saw an interview with Anthony Gonzalez, who plays Miguel, uh, talking about how he really liked that it was bilingual there is a non-zero chance that I'm inventing this interview out of my mind because I'm thinking of it right now. I can't remember when I saw it, but I'm pretty sure I really saw this and it's real. <laughs> him saying that throwing the Spanish words in was so familiar to him because that's how he talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that sound, that rings true. I don't have a lot of experience with people for whom... Spanish is a second language, but I do have lots of experience, in, especially in my childhood, with people for whom French was either a first or a second language. And they're like, just throw, switching back and forth and throwing in words is very true to life of how bilingual people mm-hmm. tend to speak. Yeah. So I also, I really liked that as an aspect of like a little exposure to another language and a little exactly as you say correction of buzz th- of buzz lightyear in toy story 3 mm-hmm. how do you think this movie is doing on gender not super great mm-hmm. like does it pass the bechdel test yes on a few occasions mm-hmm. it's definitely very male with the male protagonist and his male sidekick and the male dog even 
And and it's all about him discovering his grandfather. His grandfather, great, great exactly. Grandfather. And Coco is beautiful character in a way, but she's also very much an object. She's mm-hmm. the child object that the grandfather is wanting to remember, wanting to remember him. And she's the old woman object that he's trying to get back to. And there's a question. Like if I think about uh, the family in this movie, I totally think that you're exactly voicing my also my opinion when you say like all the protagonists are male. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, if you think of the family as it's represented, on one hand, it's a matriarchal family, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, we have a real contrast between the great-great-grandmother and the great-grandmother. No, the great-great-grandmother and the grandmother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who are, you know, um, shrill, uh, the unforgiving, inflexible... Hit you with a shoe. Hit you with a shoe and, like, tied to domesticity in a very... Uh, um, stifling way. Mm-hmm. Tied themselves to domesticity and also they will tie everyone else down to domesticity in a way of like stifling your dreams. Uh, and the male characters, Hector, uh, I mean like the minor male characters are are might as well not exist really. Yeah. So it's really, uh, in terms of the family member character, it's only Hector and we kind of think Ernesto for a while and Miguel. And all three of them are like, they want to go out into the world and make something of themselves in the world. And so there's this narrative of men are for the world and women are for the home. And uh, you, your woman is going to prevent you from living out your dreams. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the movie... Miguel has kind of made peace between those two sides mm-hmm. through the adventure of the movie. Yeah. But, like, really the way to make peace is for the women to learn that uh, that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Especially I mean, the grandmother, Abelita. I'm not sure. I said that. I'm not sure it's quite fair because Miguel ends the movie like having learned that family really is important. Mm-hmm. And Hector wanted to return home to his family. But Hector, I think, is the reasonable one. Yeah. When we have in the land of the dead, Hector and whatever her name is, the great, great grandmother, the matriarch of the family, mm-hmm. like she's still mad at him and won't forgive him for having been poisoned, trying to return to her. Yeah. Like she's very unreasonable and he's very like, he wanted to go back to his family. He just had a dream and fine, I will give up my dream and return to my family and never be forgiven unreasonably by bitter controlling women who don't understand what it's like to be a person. Right. Mm. Yeah. I, can I see find it a fairly troubling representation Mm. of a gendered dynamic and it's very gendered Mm -hmm. it's very gendered it's one could probably get explained to that it's the culture Mm -hmm. and 
I'm sure it is, but that doesn't really excuse it. No. That doesn't make it good culture. Yeah. Just because it's a cult, there's, just because the world is patriarchal doesn't mean we like that. And there's, I mean, I don't know from direct experience of the culture, only from uh, representations of the culture in art. Mm -hmm. But there is certainly a cultural stereotype in Mexico of like the strong matriarch who ties the family together and the lazy layabout man who, you know, is either absentee or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely a stereotype that this movie is not doing much to problematize. Mm Mm-hmm. Or challenge at all, really. No, not at all. Yeah. So that's, that's a problem, mm-hmm. I think. It does have very strong gender roles, but it also has Frida Kahlo in it. Talk about Frida Kahlo. So just like she is representative of you know, not stereotypical gender roles. And she's this, like, just within this movie is, like, this weird artist who, like, has this papaya with all her coming out. And then they go into a cactus that's their mother that's also her. And it's just, it's funny, but it's also, like, not any kind of traditional womanly role. It's just Frida Kahlo. She's very specific. Yes. Is what you mean? She's very specific. And in her actual life, bucked against... Those kind of roles. Though we don't acknowledge that in the movie at all. No, I don't that's think true. we need to. No. But I don't think they get particularly credit for feminism just because Frida Kahlo was a feminist. Yes, yes. That's you know a good I mean? point. Good point. She's uh, mostly there as a funny reference for adults. Yeah. And for kids who have watched TV shows with about her, like our <laughs> kids have. <laughs> Or our kids already knew about Frida Kahlo. Their cousin is named after her. That's true. Um, There was some slight conversation about Frida Kahlo. I remember when the movie came out and someone, I think, on Twitter uh, tagged us about it when they heard we were doing this movie. I don't remember who. Um, But there was some conversation about Frida Kahlo in this movie and whether whether it erases her disability. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I watched this movie this time with that really in mind. And to my eye, I don't really think that that accusation is justified. But I can kind of see, like, because she basically doesn't walk and all the skeletons limp and added to that, I'm not sure it goes without saying the just metaphysics that in the land of the dead, do you still have their chronic pain that... I would kind of hope not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just kind of worth bringing up and and questioning that, like, central to Frida Kahlo's uh, identity was her disability and her pain, chronic pain. And so then to represent her without those things would be a problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But just to be aware. I'm not sure I find it that problematic, but some people might. I only don't find it problematic because I'm not sure, because I I really watched carefully and didn't notice her walking at all. She was, like, standing only. But, yeah, but erasing someone's disability is absolutely problematic. Yeah, for sure. 
and especially when someone's disability is so central to their their identity, Mm -hmm. then, yeah, not cool. Anything else that you want to talk about? About Coco? I would kind of like to talk a little bit about the central theme of memory. Mm -hmm. So I have nothing else in terms of, like, the problems. No, me neither. That strikes me. This is a movie about memory, and I mentioned that earlier when I was talking about the song Remember Me. And, like, it's about memory first because the supernatural mechanism of how the Day of the Dead works in this movie is that as long as living people remember them, then the dead stay alive or stay continue to exist in the land of the dead. And as Mm -hmm. soon as they are forgotten, they fade away. Yeah. And so that's, you know, a uh, world-building supernatural mechanism. It's and I think that is part of the mythology of yeah. the Land of the Dead as well. Like, that's not they something made they made up for this movie. Yeah. Um, then that's tied specifically to Coco. And Coco is not just... Uh, in this movie, she's not just anybody she is someone who's having trouble with her memory and whether that's just old age or specifically like alzheimer's is never stated Mm -hmm. but the way that she behaves is that's not uh just old forgetfulness like she doesn't know who her daughter is and she can't remember whether her like she suddenly talks as if her papa's coming home any minute Mm -hmm. like yeah, that's either like dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. Yeah. And it, there's a real, um, quite apart from the mythology, there's a real emotional truth. I mean, maybe not apart from the mythology, it's an emotional truth that undergirds the mythology that, like, let's take seriously the idea that no one's really gone as long as you remember them. And what does that really mean for people who are still alive but don't have their memory? And, like, it really, I think, uh, expresses how the tragedy of dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever it is. And of, like, mm-hmm. there's a degree that Coco is losing even the people who are still alive. yeah. Is what the part that the aspect of the movie more than anything else that really uh, I found moving. If you're keeping track, Jan did not fall asleep, but I did cry. Oh, I did cry too. The part like, and then like when when Ernesto sings "Remember Me" and it's all about like he wants to be famous and he successfully is famous and everyone will remember him forever and just like Frida Kahlo, he has no danger of being forgotten because he's achieved worldwide uh, notoriety. Mm-hmm. I really contrast that with the kind of intimate family memory that the great-great-grandmother has and that eventually Hector gains by the end of the movie. And the movie really, con- really makes a case that direct familial memory is more valuable. Mm. 
And so the like, remember me as Ernesto sings it is like, hey, everybody, remember how important I am. And then the way that Hector sings it to his daughter is like, I have to go away, but I'm always going to be with you as long as you remember me. Mm-hmm. And the contrast between intimate memory and public memory. And I think at the, one of the core emotional tent poles of this movie. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then the way that music can bring someone back. Yeah. That we know from people with Alzheimer's, like the last thing you lose is song. And often for people who've had liturgical prayer in their lives, you know, they may not remember at all who anyone is, but they can still recite the Lord's Prayer mm-hmm. or sing a song from their childhood, a hymn from their childhood, and these core memories, to borrow a phrase from another Pixar movie, <laughs> these core memories that involve music and recitation continue to exist, which kind of makes me wonder whether I'm going to be quoting Buffy <laughs> in my... <laughs> In your dementia? Dementia, when I'm 98 years old. I'll let you know, but you won't know that I've <laughs> let I you won't know. know. <laughs> hmm. This is what, but, like, we yeah. started this movie, you started this podcast saying that this is Pixar's, maybe Pixar's most beautiful movie in every sense. And we started by talking about the visual aesthetic beauty. But when it comes to, like, the emotional beauty mm-hmm. of this movie, that's what I think of is this like as with up there's something about old people (laughs) Mm -hmm. and about death and about death because it because because it's inevitable yeah because we all die we all know someone who's died because that's what happens that's the way that life ends and so to have this movie that's about death yeah but also celebrating of it is like this is a children's movie and it's all very lighthearted about death. Yeah. And yet it isn't. And at the very end, they flash back, they flash forward to a year later and Coco has died. Yeah. And in some ways you're like, it's sad that she's died, but you're also like, she gets to be with her papa. Finally. And that is the beauty of a death in old age is that you've lived that life, that full life, and then you go on. And so... It's, yeah, it's sad for those of us who are left behind, but you see the the happiness that can come there. And I think that's a beautiful message. And when, at the end of this movie, when they add Coco's picture, mm-hmm. like, my tears are so complicated. Mm-hmm. Because I'm genuinely, like, moved by the loss of this person who's so important to everyone in this movie. Uh, But also I'm so happy for her to see her papa again and for Hector to see his daughter again. And for that, like, she's going to be remembered. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So that complex emotional reaction is beautiful. And you have... Miguel explaining to his new baby sister about Coco because she hasn't met him, hasn't met her. Yeah. And so 
you have the next, you know, generation, you know, that it'll just keep being talked about and they'll keep being remembered. And now Hector will keep being remembered and he won't disappear either. And yet... Eventually they will. Early in the movie, when Hector's friend fades away, he's, you know, mourns for him, pours out a drink for him, and then, like, has a moment of sadness and then kind of... But there's no one left alive to pass down Chicha's stories. Hey, it happens to everyone eventually. And it's again, for the dead, being forgotten is as inevitable as death is for the living. Yeah. Oof, it's kind of heavy in some ways. <laughs> like, man, you'll be forgotten. All this will be lost. Everyone's going to be forgotten. <laughs> On that note. I mean, and it's beautiful, though. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. It's the, and this is a stale thought, but still a profound one. Not original to me, but like. It's the fleetingness of life that makes it beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, in a movie like this, I like when a movie can really drive home how Coco's life also was fleeting. Mm-hmm. A very, very old person, a great grandmother, her life also was fleeting and therefore beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else to say about Coco? Is it good? Is it seriously good? Yes. Yes and yes. This is like, if we had degrees of gooditude, (laughs) this is high on the goodness scale. Yeah. We recently, I put out a list of all the ones that we'd rated both good and seriously good, and this is definitely top of those. One of the top ones of that list. It is very good and is very seriously good. I think it's slightly less seriously good than it is good because of the gender issues. Mm-hmm. But I'm still very comfortable calling it seriously good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All well, right. If you would like to talk to us more about Coco or about anything to do with anything, <laughs> you can contact us on Twitter at WTSCast. You can email us way too seriously cast at gmail.com or you can contact us on Patreon if you're one of our patrons, which you can be for as little as a dollar a month. Patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Anything else that you can do, Paul? You can tell an actual real life friend mm. about mm. this podcast recommend us to someone that would be super great (laughs) you can like rate and review and whatever blah 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 but like i'm pushing this week talk to an actual human uh that you personally know Mm -hmm. sounds good all right so i've been paul moffat i've been jan moffat remember us remember me no, me. No, me. me. Remember me. me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>